0: You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Y'all are on fire today, aren't you? Y'all act like you've got some reason to celebrate Christmas. Yeah, we do, don't we? He's our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. We have a lot to worship Him for today today, right? Amen. What a great set of songs today. That great I am is a powerful, powerful song. And guess what? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, But as we get into this, we are going to be on Everlasting Fathers. We've been working our way through the text in Isaiah chapter nine. And when I just say the word father, I know that for everyone in this room, that conjures up all kinds of emotion. For some, it's a set of just positives, something that, something that identifies the word father, identifies someone that you respect and love and, and looked up to growing up or even now. For some, it's not that way. For me personally, it's a good thing. I mean, my dad is to this day a wonderful father. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better father on earth. Um, perfect, absolutely not but good for sure. I mean, I can tell you story after story growing up. I mean, when I was just a kid in Texas where I was born and I was really young, I probably was maybe five years old. I don't even know exactly, but it was, I was old enough to remember. And I've always wondered how young can you remember things? But I, I was old enough to remember this. I caught a snake in the front yard. I don't know if it was like a little grass snake or what, but I came walking inside with it in my hand like this. And I said, look, dad. And my dad, rather than grabbing the snake away from me, grabbed my hands. And he said, get that snake out of here. And he walked me back outside and told me to put it down. But, uh, but I remember that. You know, my dad taught me a lot of things. You know. Growing up, my dad taught me how to hunt, um, you know, how to you know, kill a deer and kill squirrels. And we, we did that a lot. Some of my greatest memories are me and my dad and my brother sitting in a car after a morning hunt eating potted meat in the car with crackers I mean that was it my dad ate potted meat we ate potted meat we ate vine and cr- sausage come on some of the healthiest stuff you'll ever put in your mouth if you can ever get that first one out of the can you just tear it up trying to get that first one out but boy once you do nothing like that at about 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning after you've been in the woods all morning but my dad taught me how to do that my dad taught me how to drive that was traumatic You know, your dad, it's like, it's like, now son, it it wasn't like, now son, slow down. That stop sign's coming up. It's like you get there and he go, are you going to stop? (laughs) That was it. But I learned how to drive, you know, and I still ride with somebody who treats me the same way and my wife. And, um, but that was just part of, you know, my dad. It was just, that That was dad. And dad is dad. To this day, he's just a wonderful, wonderful Father, he was there for me whenever I had a baseball game. My dad was there to yell at the umpires. I mean, that was dad, he was just a supporter. I always knew that dad was going to be there. But for some, that's not the father you remember, that's not the father you have. You have different experiences. You have the memory of being at the ball game and looking up to the stands to see if dad made it, and again, he had a reason for not being there. He was working late, got stuck in traffic, had a phone call, whatever. And you just have this, this image of a dad who just wasn't ideal. He was aloof. He was not present. He was always on the phone or always on the go and just never. And, and you don't have that. So I know that when I talk about a subject like today, there are a wide variety of images and ideals and 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 traumatic things and, and joyous things that come up when we talk about father. But interesting enough, that is one of the ways that Isaiah described Jesus for us in this great prophetic book. So Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, for unto us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So there's something about a father that is good, that God wants us to identify in Jesus Christ, this baby born in the manger, this baby that we worship, that we sing about and devote our lives to follow. There's something about him as everlasting father that should give us a reason to pause and to think and to reflect and put our hope in. A father that will be with us no matter what. A father who never leaves us nor forsakes us. And backing up to Isaiah chapter nine, verse one, I just want to give you a little bit more context. It's kind of like I'm dropping these little nuggets of history into the book of Isaiah. Because you start reading the book of Isaiah, you just get a few chapters in and you're like me, you're just kind of glazed over. You're like, what am I reading? But it's on the reading plan. So I'm going to finish. I'm gonna push through, but just a little context as you get into this chapter nine, it says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, we talked about last week, in about 700 BC, the Assyrians came in and captured these two areas of Israel, brought them into contempt or Terrorize them, basically, these northeastern tribes of Israel. So I've been saying that. I just wanted to give you a little bit better context. So I brought a map. I'm getting a little bit of professor on you today, so hang with me. For those of you that like knowledge, you're going to just lean in and love this. For those of you that don't care for it, this might be the bathroom break you needed. Um, here's Naphtali and here is Zebulun, okay? Now, whenever the children of Israel came into The land of Israel, the promised land, after wandering around in the wilderness, wherever that might have been, they were wandering around all over. Whenever they came into the land of Israel, okay, they came in right about, this is the Sea of Galilee. We've got the Jordan River. We've got the Dead Sea. Jericho is right here. So we believe that they crossed somewhere in this southern area right here, went in. Jericho was the first battle that they fought. But when they got in there, This big area was divided into 12 different regions, 12 different regions, 12 states, if you will. And every single one of them were named after a son, okay? So if we go back and we kind of look at a little bit of genealogy, I want to kind of track you and kind of bring you up to speed of how this came about. There was a guy by the name of Abraham who had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, Those are the Sunday school people right there. Those are the ones that grew up in church, and we did that song. That was, for us, that was the song that never end. This is the song that never, that one was it. So anyway, Abraham and Sarah, late in life, had a son by the name of Isaac, okay? Isaac married Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah, we talked about this a few weeks ago, they had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the oldest. And by nature and by just the way things work, he should have received the inheritance. He should have been the one that we would add into the genealogy. But because he wasn't wise and because he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew, Jacob was the one who received the inheritance or the promise, so to speak. So we got Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, who would later be renamed to guess who? Israel. His name was changed to israel which is where we get the nation of israel named after jacob and jacob had 12 sons Okay, and a daughter, okay? But he had four different wives that gave him all 12 of these sons because not one single woman could have that many children and survive it. No, no, this is just the way things operated back then. Um, but they had this one daughter, and I'm sure she got picked on a little bit. But every single one of these, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, all of these, here's Judah, Issachar, you got Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. You got all of these 12 sons, and every single one of them got a piece of property. Every one of them did. And so later on, when you look, they settled in this nation. It's a little bit different map, a little bit better color on it, I think. And you can see these different ones. Now, as you know, as you probably remember from your Bible reading that you've been doing this whole year, as you read through the Bible, at one point, the nation was divided into two sections. There was a northern section known as Israel, kept the name, but the southern section was known as Judah, Judah this is where Jerusalem is where Bethlehem is it's in the southern kingdom it's the southern one so down here Judah and Benjamin they had the southern kingdom and then there was the 10 tribes in the north that had the southern, northern part known as Israel the way i remember that is if you make a big j the j points to the southern part and that's how i remember the southern kingdom was Judah i'm a simple man and I need these simple ways to remember things because I was never great at history. So anyway, they come into the land of Israel. They divide all of this. And up here, you see Naphtali and Zebulun. And so when Isaiah's writing about this, he's talking about these two areas. But that's not all he talks about. Also in verse one, he talks about two other things. He says, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And we look at that and we go, what is he talking about? We just kind of breeze over that and we go, who is he talking about? So going back to our map, we see Naphtali and Zebulun and we also know that if you study history, there was three basic trade routes. So down here is Egypt. So a lot of people would leave Mesopotamia up here and they would travel through this region because it wasn't as harsh as the desert over here. They would travel through this region in order to get down to Egypt. There were three different trade routes they could take. One of them was the coastal route. They would go all the way over here to the Mediterranean Sea, work their way all the way around. Tel Aviv is about right here for for reference. They would go right here and they would go around and then they would make their way down to Egypt. Another trade route they would take would be the way of the desert. They wouldn't go all the way into the desert. They would just go on the, on the. Uh, I guess that would be the eastern side of the of the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee, and they would come down through here, eastern Manasseh, Gad. Right here's a valley, a rift valley that goes down through here, and they would travel that. This was also known as the King's Highway. If you've ever heard some old songs or some old gospel songs that referred to the King's Highway, this is the route they were talking about right here. It's a long trade route. But there were a few, there were a few who would make one other and it was the way of the sea, refer in reference to the Sea of Galilee, which is more like a lake, they call it Lake Gennesaret or the Lake of Galilee, but the Sea of Galilee is kind of how we refer to it. They would come right here and they would travel through Naphtali Zebulun, there's a big valley here. The valley of Armageddon is going to be fought right here. This is Megiddo. There's a valley of Armageddon and, and prophecy. This is where that valley's, that's where that battle's going to be fought. And so they would make this route, and this was the way of the sea that Isaiah was talking about. He's saying, so at this point, this region, you're going to go into Assyrian captivity, modern day Iraq, you're going to go into captivity, but there is hope. There is a deliverer. There is somebody who is going to bring you out of the bondage that you live in. Now, the guy who wrote this prop this prophetic book, guess who his name is? Or guess what his name is? Isaiah. Very, you just context is king when it comes to studying scripture. So if the book's called Isaiah, there's a really good chance. Isaiah wrote it, okay? So Isaiah wrote this book. And Isaiah actually wrote this book somewhere in the neighborhood of 740 to 680 BC or during this time period. So over the course of about 60 years, Isaiah is doing all of his prophetic writings. So... Without getting too deep in the woods, I just want to kind of give you an idea of your Old Testament. If you look at the first five books of the Old Testament, we call those historical, or we call those um, the books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the books of the law. So there's five of those. And then you have 12 books that we call books of history. Those are all the Kings and the Chronicles and Samuel and all of those. Those are books of history. Then you've got prophetic books. You've got major prophets and minor prophets. And if you take all of those major and minor prophets, you can take them back and you can drop them into the historical books. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, all of those guys prophesied during the historical books, uh, during that historical time period period of the Chronicles and and the Kings and, and Samuel. So this is a period that Isaiah wrote during, okay? That may be too much for you. If not, just watch the tape again. So about 60 years, Isaiah's prophesying, okay? So there's some good years and there's some bad years. If you look at the book of Isaiah, how many chapters are in it? Anybody know? 66, 66. Now, listen, whenever Isaiah wrote it, he didn't go, now this is gonna be chapter one and I'm gonna start chapter two here and I'm gonna start, no, he didn't do that. Later on, scholars came back and said, let's put chapter and verse divisions in here. That way, when people get up to preach or reference it, we can say, hey, turn to Isaiah chapter nine, verse one, and let's read together. Otherwise, it was just a long scroll. They were just reading. And so you got the Ethiopian eunuch in the the book of Acts. He's reading the long scroll of Isaiah. And and, um, Philip walks up to him and says, what are you reading? He said, the book of Isaiah. He said, what are you reading about? He said, I don't know. I need somebody to explain it to me. That's when he gets saved and baptized. And so 66 chapters are now divided in the book of Isaiah. But whoever did this was brilliant because if you take it even further than that, there are, if you look at our new, if you look at our Bible, how many, cha- how many books are in our Bible? 66, we have 66 books in the Bible. Isaiah has 66 chapters. How many books are in our Old Testament? 39 you have 39 books in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, you have 27, totaling 66. If you look at the book of Isaiah, there are 39 what what theologians refer to as pre-hope chapters. These were the times when, when there's an emphasis on the sin, this call to repentance, this idea of judgment that's gonna happen for the nation of Israel specifically the northern kingdom that Isaiah wrote a lot about, saying there's going to be a time of judgment that's going to be, and he covers that for about 39 chapters. But for about 27, we call them the in-hope chapters. These are the ones where he promises the hope of restoration, that Israel, even though you have been brought into captivity under the Assyrians, you will be brought home. You will go back to the land of Promise. So we call those the in-hope chapters. Interesting enough, it was divided 39 and 27, just like our Bible. And if you could even divide it even further, there's a section in there known as the book of Emmanuel, and it's the chapter seven through 12. These are the prophetic words about the coming Messiah, which is where we find ourselves in chapter nine, this promise of the coming child, this coming king, this coming Messiah that they had looked so forward to. All right, so now you can take your thinking caps off. We're going to get back into, um, well, I guess you still want you to think, but the historical stuff is over. Now we're going to dive into the text. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And what does it mean? that Jesus is our everlasting father. Here he is, this baby in the manger. We talked last week, how could a baby be referred to as a mighty warrior or a mighty God or the mighty, mighty one as we referred to? But, but he, now he's saying he's not only gonna be wonderful counselor that Tom talked about the first week, he's not only gonna be this idea of um, mighty warrior or mighty God, he's also gonna be the everlasting father. So what does that mean? Well, this word, these two words for everlasting father are two little Hebrew words, Abi ad, and it's father, which is abi, and the ad refers to one who is unceasing in his duration. In other words, Jesus is everlasting. So whenever Jesus was born to his mother Mary and Joseph, and he was placed in that manger, that was not his beginning. That was what we call the incarnation. That was when Jesus became, God became flesh and dwelt among us. That was the incarnation of Jesus in the form of a baby. But that's not where he started. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning and he will have no end. So if you jump back into the book of Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. When he said us, who is he talking about? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity present in creation. Jump ahead to these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these guys were in the burning fiery furnace under King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar comes and he looks in the burning fiery furnace, and he says, those three guys I recognize as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but there's a fourth man walking in the midst of the flame who looks a lot like... The son of God, Jesus. It's, a, it's a, the presence of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. God just dropping in these stories and saying, listen, Jesus is everlasting. He's an everlasting father. Meaning for us, we need someone who will be there for us no matter what. Someone who doesn't take time away, someone who is not on their phone, someone who does not stay late to work, somebody who does not just by neglect not show up for the things that we need him for. No, Jesus is our everlasting father and he's ever present with us no matter what we go through. Amen? Isn't that good? Aren't you glad that the presence of Jesus Christ carries us through those things? And it's just like Linda Biggers, uh, one of our church members, her dad uh, died this past week. And, and I was talking to her on the phone this week. And she was like, my dad just left such a great legacy. He was just a man that I admired. And we're learning more and more stories about how generous he was. And by the way, his funeral service is going to be Wednesday down at Hickory Grove, Maine, in Charlotte. Um, the visitation from 1030 to... 10 to 1130, and the service will be right after that. And so, But she was just bragging on her dad. He was always there for her, and it's a, such a legacy. And many of us have that, but many don't. But Jesus is that person that you need. He is the one who will always be there for you. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And so as we think about that, and we, on Friday mornings, we all come in here and we kind of walk through the service together. We do some of the, the songs, we go through those, kind of all the transitions, making sure everybody knows what they're doing. And so we're sitting in here and I'm sitting over here, wherever I was, balancing a chair on my chin or something. And all of a sudden, if you saw Tom's picture on Facebook, you'll see one of my... Many hidden talents, that doesn't come out very often. But, um, but I, we're sitting here, and all of a sudden, I'd already laid out my message. Sean had already laid out all the songs. He already knows what verses he's gonna read. And all of a sudden, he starts singing the great I am. And I was like, Sean, I was going to use that passage from the New Testament to describe Jesus. In John chapter eight, verse 56, he read it earlier. It says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Jesus talking to a group of Jews that were gathered around and he saw it and was glad. Abraham saw this day coming and he was glad. So these Jews were confused as Sean said earlier and they, they were confused and they said, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? How in the world could that take place? And Jesus just simply responds. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am, I am. That means I am everything you need. I am from everlasting. I'm to everlasting. I'm present in the moment. I'm with you in the heartaches. I'm with you in the rejoicing. I'm with you through every phase of life you go through. I am with you when you don't want to put another foot in step of the other. I am with you when you can't wait to run forward. I am with you always. I am the great I am. Am. And that is how God had revealed himself to Abraham when he needed somebody to go with him before Pharaoh to deliver the children of Israel out. He said, I'm gonna be with you. I am with you. And so Jesus comes along and he's the everlasting father saying, listen, I am with you no matter what you go through. When you're under attack, I'm with you. When you are lost, I'm with you. When you're hopeless, I'm with you. When you're desperate, when you're lonely, I am with you. And that's what Jesus is for so many of us, he exists fully everywhere at all times. He always has been and he always will be. He is today. He is in full existence all the time. 100% in tune with going on, what's, what's going on in your life. So Jesus is everlasting, but he's also father. Father. He is also our father. If you look at the life of Jesus, he cared for the sick. He prayed with people. He prayed for people. He was strong. He was dependable. Jesus was firm, but he was loving. He had the perfect balance of grace and truth. There there was this whole idea. When we look at the life of Jesus, he was everything that a good father should be. And you know what else? A good father also provides identity for their kids. And my kids, when they were born, guess what last name they got? Peyton. They didn't get Nelson, Tracy's last name. That's weak. (laughs) I'm kidding. Tracy's got a fantastic father. They got my last name. They got Peyton. They took my identity. When my daughters got married, there was a little battle. They're going to have to drop my last name. So there was always that, do you keep that as the middle name and keep it as like Leanna Peyton Taylor? You got to cane on that painting. So it's our, it's our identity. You know, that's, it's, it's, that's what we provide. Not only that, fathers also prepare their kids for the future. My dad prepared me for the future. My dad taught me how to drive. He taught me some ways, some really cool tricks. It's like, well, listen, if, the, if the light is yellow and you're first in line, go ahead and pull out in the middle of the intersection. He said, pull on out there. Because when the light turns red, you have to turn. And so when I get behind somebody and they don't cheat the light, I'm like, your dad didn't teach you like he taught, like my dad taught me. I know how to cheat the light. And so my dad taught me things. And so Jesus did the same thing. He told his disciples, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places. And behold, I go and I prepare a place for you. So that where I and I I will doubtless come again and receive you to myself. So that where I am, you may be also. Right now, Jesus is preparing for our future, like a good father should. He's preparing us for the future, like a good father should. And then you see Jesus as he's walking along one day and he's he already knows that he's on his way to Jerusalem to be killed at the hand of Herod and he comes along and he crests the top of the hill. I can just picture it right now in my head. I can picture Jesus coming across the top of the hill and he sees the city of Jerusalem laying out there and he knows about the city of Jerusalem. He understands what's about to take place and he says this. He said oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Listen, you have killed people who meant good for you. And you're about to kill me as well. And as he headed in, he started saying this. He said, oh, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not Willing. I get a picture of a father who is heartbroken over his children who have been scattered and have rejected his love and have rejected his compassion. He's saying, oh, how often I would like to be the father who just gathers his children back together and go, and listen, hey, don't turn your back on me. Don't run away from what's best for you. Don't try to go and do all of these other things. And this is the picture of a good father trying to gather his children together which is one of the things that brings me some of the most joy in my life, is having my kids and my grandkids together. Hey, listen, we had all of our grandkids, except for our our Massachusetts granddaughter. We had all of them together yesterday, painting or putting icing on little Christmas tree ice cream cones. It was a mess, and it was loud, and there was stuff everywhere. But you know what? I loved it. I loved it. I rejoiced in it. And that's that's the picture of a father. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to gather those who are straying away, those who are rejecting him. He just wants to say, hey, just come on. Just come on. Let me gather you together. And let me show you what a loving, compassionate father looks like. But one of the greatest stories that we know in the New Testament is the picture of a father who waited on a son who had strayed away. It's the story of the prodigal son. We all probably, if you've been in church at all, you know this story. And so Jesus tells this story about a son who comes to his father and he basically says, dad, I wish you were dead. And so I wish you were dead. So why don't you go ahead and give me my inheritance? And so the father gives him the inheritance willingly. And he gives him all the money that comes to him and the son takes off and he goes into the world and and scripture tells us that he lived his life and wasted his money on riotous living. The wild life, the wildest life he could ever live. He goes out there and spends all of his money. He buys friends, he buys a good time, he buys anything that money can do for him, he enjoys it. But guess what? The money ran out. And I'm sure the whole time he's away, while he's partying it up, and the dad may have gotten worried about it here and there, the dad's probably still back home going, dear God, I just pray that you will bring my son home, bring my son home, bring my son home, bring my wayward child back to me. Well, this son got no clue in the world, he just spends all of his money to the point that he's got zero dollars left. He has no friends left. So he has to get a job and he gets a job that no respectable Jew would ever take. He starts feeding pigs. We read in scripture that he was feeding pigs one day and he didn't even have the money to buy his own food. So you know what he started doing? He starts eating the pig slop. He starts eating the pods that the pigs eat. And while he had his face in a pig trough, something came into his mind. And he says, you know what? It would be better if I were a servant in my father's house than a king out here in the world. And he gets up. I'm not sure if he even cleans himself off. But in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, here's what we read. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, this dad's on the front porch. I'm sure he was having his daily quiet time. He's reading scripture. He's praying for his son. He's saying, I just want my son to come home. And while he was a long ways off, his father saw him and felt judgment. Felt like he just needed to give him a good lecture. No, he felt compassion. He felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. This dad that should have probably by all accounts got his son up there and go, listen, I told you this would happen. I knew that if you went out there and you didn't live by the principles and the things that I had taught you, you were gonna run out of money. Now look what you've done. And And most of us as dads would have gone, let me give you a lecture, but not this dad. Not this loving, compassionate father who saw his son a long ways off, a son who had come to the end of his life, to the end of his wits in a place that he was ashamed of who he was, but yet he knew that he could come back to a compassionate father who would stand there with his arms wide open. We're sitting here on Friday Friday morning and we're going through the songs and we get ready to sing this last song. And I hadn't told them what I'm preaching other than just the text and a few little things. We get to this last song, Sean gets up and starts singing a song about a father who's standing with his arms wide open. And I said, Sean, that's my closing passage. And we were both just looked at each other and was just like, isn't that just like God? I know in the early service today, there were some men who needed to hear this. There were men on their faces before God. I don't know their stories necessarily. I don't know if they felt like they weren't what they should be or they didn't receive what they should be, but they knew who they should run to. A a father who is compassionate and he's standing there with his arms wide, open waiting on you so when you reach the place that you feel rejected by everyone else you have a savior who welcomes you with your arm with his arms wide open because jesus came to make sons and daughters out of enemies and sinners and that's what you and i are without the everlasting father we're enemies and sinners but jesus came to welcome us back And so jesus takes away our guilt and again, opens a way for us to receive the Father's love. So if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior today, he is standing with his arms, well, I don't care what your background is, I don't care what you've done, and he doesn't either. He's just saying, confess your sins, and I am faithful and I am just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Run to the Father. Everything you ever thought a father could be, Jesus is. Everything you ever wanted from your relationship with your earthly father, Jesus is. Your Messiah will ever be perfectly father-like and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. So wherever you are, run to the Father. Man, there's gonna be some deacons down here. Tom and I'll be down here. And if you would like to pray with somebody, we're here. We're here to pray with you. If you'd like to meet us in the guest VIP room, feel free to come there. But if today, if you need a savior, run to Jesus and he's waiting. So let's all stand together. Our heavenly father, we love you. And in Jesus, we have the perfect father. And so today, God, no matter where we are in our relationship with you, I pray that you would draw us closer to yourself. Maybe there's somebody here today and they've just reached a place where their face is in a pig trough. They're as low as they can possibly be. They've been been rejected by all their friends, even by their family. My prayer today is they will run to the Father who is standing there with his arms wide open. And it's in his name we pray, amen.